The Bible says these words. If Christ had not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.25 and chapter 5, verse 1, He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Last week, I spoke to you of the simple complexity of the word grace. Today, I wish to do the same with the word faith, jumping off from Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you are saved through faith. It's not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so the passage of Scripture I want to use is John chapter 3. John chapter 3, Almighty God, may your spirit give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that with the eyes of our hearts enlightened, we may know the hope which is in Christ and what he has called us to, the riches of his glorious inheritance among us and the greatness of his power towards all those who believe. As the flower fades and the grass withers, Your word stands forever, and may it bless us this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as teacher. For no one can do do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say, unless you are born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born if he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which has been born of the flesh is flesh, and that which has been born of the Spirit is of spirit. Do not marvel, though, that I said this to you, must be born again. For the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound, but you don't know where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who has been born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said, Are you a teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen, and you do not accept our witness." I told you earthly things, and you do not believe. How will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as the Son lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Brothers and sisters, God's grace is free. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And yet while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. That is known as the Roman road. 
And God's grace is free. You can't work it up. You can't buy it. You can't purchase it. And you can't lose it. It has to be given to you. And I want you to remember this. And you want to write this word down. God's grace is indispensable. It's indispensable because it is, nece- it is the necessary condition for recovery of the absolute necessity of salvation. Grace is indispensable. There is no salvation outside of grace. It is indispensable. I was in Plano yesterday, drive, or, or Friday, driving around trying to find a bottle of Indian snake oil for Kelly's stomach called Trafala that really works. And I drove by many, many churches in Plano and Allen. I, I didn't know you could be in Plano, Allen, and Mesquite in about two blocks. Traffic all the way. And I came across a church that's known for its particular positions and has gone through, has been taken over in, in such a manner that the denomination has broken apart. And uh, it had on the side of the building all of these doors. And they were colored in the rainbow. So there was a blue door and a green door and a yellow door and a orange and all that. And it said, open doors. And I thought, okay, happy Easter. We accept everyone here. Okay, I understand that. Um, But I'm going to tell you something. This is what got me, is that God accepts everyone. No, he doesn't. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, we are dead in trespasses and sin. We are at enmity with him. Something has to happen. It's called extra nos in the Latin. Outside of us. And outside of us, it's where he, he grafts in his grace. And that grace produces something in us that's called faith. And it's our personal faith, but we won't have that faith. We won't have saving faith. Uh, we may have faith. You know, I have faith that I'm going to get in my Chevrolet in a minute, it's going to start. I don't have faith. I'm going to get in uh, someone's Ford and it will start. I'll have to pray. But that's, that's a different kind of faith. I'm talking about saving faith. Saving faith. And I'm going to teach you about it this morning. But this faith is given by an indispensable grace. It's very sad to me to see Christians, and I know it is for you, who walk and claim faith, and yet their life has no seasoning marks of grace. They've not been touched by God's amazing grace. The only grace they know is in the hymn, but not that indispensable grace, for there is no salvation apart from grace. That's Acts chapter 4. It is prevenient, P-R-E-V-E-N-I-E-N-T. This comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. It's because it it, God's grace must be given freely and indispensably before a human being can recover from death, literally rise from the dead. Dead in trespasses and sin. That's what we do when we do the baptism, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in a new life in Him. A literal picture of a resurrection. It is irresistible. Irresistible. God's grace is irresistible, and it does not mean this. Now, to, to a particular brand of a group called Calvinist that, that are not Reformed, they're, they're just, they're, they practice five-point Calvinism, but they're not Reformed. Um, they interpret 
God's grace is irresistible in that once God gives it to you, there is no way you can resist it. That, that, that is not true. That's not what irresistible grace means. God's grace is irresistible because it's absolutely effectual. It works every time. Every time. See, let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit never fails to bring God's own to faith. The first time I ever heard of the word, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, was in Andrews, Texas. When I, in 1984, on the 13th of September, after spending the afternoon getting dirt in my teeth and mud on my shins riding my three-wheeler, when the preacher came over and I had been asking about heaven and I had been asking about things of eternity and I had been asking about things that have to do with uh, more spiritual things and he came in and said you are experiencing the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Well, I've, I've, I've used that term as a pastor in Baptist churches and folks have never understood what I meant by that. I guess that was just something I, I, I didn't know and I'm not, I'm not complaining about it. What I am saying this is the Holy Spirit has never failed to bring one of God's children to Him, ever. And He's never lost one. The Spirit brings them and Jesus says, I haven't lost any of them. And so what does that mean? That salvation is effectual because it is a work of the triune Godhead. It is a work of the triune Godhead and it is completely one-sided. And that's what Galatians 1.15 says. It's totally one-sided. You bring nothing to it. You bring nothing to it. It's irresistible, and it is indefectible. I-N-D-E-F-E-C-T-I-B-L-E. Indefectible. That is, it is a liberating grace that is absolutely perfect. There's no half grace, three-quarters grace, uh, four-square grace, triangle grace, whatever kind of grace, qualified grace, it's grace, grace, God's grace, greater, great that is greater than all my sins. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds, the Bible says. And so what this grace looks like is this, those whom God justifies, He glorifies. His grace is indefectible. There is no defect in it. So let me read the sentence to you because this is a sentence that's 1,600 years old. God's grace is free because it is neither merited nor earned. It is indispensable because it is, it is the necessary condition for recovery of the sin qua non, the absolute necessity of salvation. It is prevenient because it comes before a sinner can recover. It is irresistible because it is effectual accomplishing God's purpose in giving it. And it is indefectible because of this liberating grace is perfect, infallible, and un flawed. The gift of grace is linked to God's eternal purpose and is intimately tied to His predestinating will. Augustine. It's a marvelous truth. And so we talked about grace last week. And we talked about that it is the grace that is poured out to us that brings about our faith. Faith by which justifies us. Our faith, our, we are, we're not justified by grace, we're justified by faith. You need to understand that. We're justified by faith, not by grace. For by grace you've been saved through what? Faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourself. It is the gift of God. What is the gift? 
not the grace. The faith. So the faith by which you and I are justified is our faith, but it is only because the Creator has given it to us. And all those to whom faith has been granted will come to exercise it. And that's why I read you the story of Nicodemus. The story of Nicodemus. Because we know Nicodemus walks with God. We know that Nicodemus came to faith. He probably had a rival in the days of Jesus Christ in the, where the Pharisees met. Probably a very young, up-and-coming, brilliant scholar named Saul of Tarsus. And I don't know how much time they would have spent together, but I know this much. Nicodemus was so transformed by Jesus' crucifixion that on the day of the Passover when Jesus was sacrificed, was crucified, he was one of the men that carried him to the grave. He knew he no longer needed to be a priest and a Pharisee for his priest, his high priest, had just paid the penalty. He knew enough. He knew who the Messiah was. And we see that. So I want you to remember this. Regeneration precedes faith. You're born again before you believe. You say, well, that's like the chicken and the egg. It is not the chicken and the egg. It is what the Bible says. We're dead in trespasses and sin, but wherewith God loved us, he granted us faith. He granted us the grace to have faith. For by faith, for through grace you've been saved by faith, not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so let me then say number one, what is faith? The Bible tells us that our faith matters because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We say Happy Easter, and that's good. And we say Resurrection Sunday, and that's good. And we say He is risen, and He is risen indeed. But we do not worship Easter. Um, we, we worship the one who's made our faith effective. And because he's risen, our faith is counted as righteousness every day. And it is who we are in him by that grace. So just write down Hebrews 11, 1 through 12. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. For by it people of old received their commendation. Now listen, if we looked at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 37 through 39, we would read these words. It says right here, right before that, For yet, in a very little while, he who is coming will come, and he will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. We live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. This is the perseverance of the saints. Now hang on a second and think about it. Look at me. All of us doubt. Amen? Actually, you should probably say, oh me. 
All of us doubt. Doesn't mean we've lost our faith. It means we've sinned. But we doubt. We're not to doubt. We have no reason to doubt. But we do. And, uh, but you see, our faith is not preserved by us. It's preserved by God. Why? Because he gave it to us. We couldn't get it, and we can't give it up. And he's done it by his grace, which is simply his unmerited favor towards us. So I want you to think about this. When he writes this passage, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen for it by people of old received their commendation. The writer of Hebrews is looking forward, is, a, is, a, is looking forward with a forward-looking faith in God and in a sure fulfillment of his promises through Christ Jesus to preserve every soul. And through such faith, we inherit eternal life, which was the next part of John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Faith and by faith we are preserved. We persevere instead of committing apostasy and that is what the author here is warning in Hebrews. So building on that idea, let me say this about faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That is simply this. Faith operates, are you listening? Faith operates with respect to the invisible. Faith operates with respect to the invisible. With it, faith operates with those things that are not evident to our senses. That is, the things not seen. That's where faith operates, saving faith operates. And at that point, we will not need faith, but until the day faith is required. And what day is that that faith will not be required? When we see the Lord face to face. And even so, Lord, come. As the conviction of the things not seen, faith is the certainty, listen, of that which is not yet visible. I believe with all of my heart in faith. When the Bible says, He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. I believe it. Especially when I look at my own works, my own failure, my own sin, the things that grieve me. I can spend my time on that. But my faith compels me to know he's not done. My daddy used to say, son, I'm going to buy you a shirt. And on the back of it, it's going to say, character under construction. I wish you had. But we're all characters under construction. Some of us are a little more characters than others, Robert. But we're all characters. Listen to how John Christensen said, this was the golden tongue, this was the Billy Graham preacher of, of his time, John Chrysostom. He said, faith then is seeing things not plain. We're not talking about mystically. It's seeing things not plain and brings what are not seen to the same full assurance with what is seen. That's just good. 
That's a great definition of faith. Faith then is seeing things not plain. I don't look at Fox News and CNN and WBAP and hear them. I don't look at Joe Biden and I don't look at I don't look at uh, George Bush and I don't look at George Soros and any other. I don't look at George either. Uh, I don't look at our good George. Um, I don't look at them plainly. I don't. I don't wear glasses that are shaped like America, patriotism. I look at things not plainly, because God's at work. God is doing something. I was so proud of Rick the other day. He he stepped in for me and taught. I I just put something in his ear, and and I have I've heard it was just fantastic the time he taught here last Wednesday night. But I told him how proud I was because he's learned how to resource the information to get to where he got. A true student and the first step to being a master teacher. Knowing how to resource. Knowing how to resource. So in this definition here, you look at this and you say, all right, faith is the assurance of the things hoped for. So write this down. Faith gives the substance. Faith gives the substance to the things for which you're hoping for. Faith gives the substance for the thing for which you're hoping for. Right now, Jesus Christ is sitting on the throne in heaven. The coming renewal of all creation is going to take place and is real. And our belief in something like that is insufficient to make it real for us. Our belief, look at me, our belief in that is insufficient to make it real for us. But if you add faith to it, then something happens. He says it, that settles it. That's not belief, that's faith. You see it? That's some, so that's the thing you got to do. And that, that may be the whole purpose of the sermon for you this morning. Is really like, wait, I'm just operating out of belief here. Well, guess what? Belief isn't going to save you. It's faith. I mean, I believe in Napoleon. I believe he lost at the Battle of Waterloo. I believe in George Washington. I do not believe he never told a lie. I'm not sure if he chopped down a cherry tree or not. I do believe he was a deist. I am not quite sure he was a Christian. I do believe he was uh, 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 the, the father of the country. Uh, they have a monument of him in Washington, D.C., the Washington Monument, but I'm happy to tell you that the monument at San Jacinto is taller because it's in Texas. Remember the Alamo? Faith, so write it down. Faith is what gives you the substance for the things you're hoping for. Faith is what makes, your, makes you able to believe the things that you cannot see. Does it make you foolish? And I want you to think about it. What kind of faith am I talking about? I'm not talking about faith that is worked up by man. Remember the man that came with his child to the Lord. And he was sick and hurt and harmed. And he said, Lord, I know you can do anything. Well, what, was, what happened? He said, I know you can do anything. And the Lord said, I can. I'm willing. And the man said, if you believe, if you believe, 
And the Lord, what did he do? He did not have enough belief to see his son healed. So what did he ask the Lord? Help me my unbelief. What is that? That wasn't belief. That was faith tied to belief. Do you see that? Man, that's good. And that's not on this page. Faith gives the substance of the things you hope for. We know Jesus is sitting on the phone. I can believe that. I can mentally assent to it. But it is my faith that makes it effective for me. And, if I, and that is why the Scripture gives us historical testimony and objective evidence of unseen things. Nevertheless, present faith is one that is, apt, that is a confirmation that the things for which we hope, we actually hope for, listen to me, actually exists and will actually be accomplished according to the will of God's plan. And it will be done by God's will, which means it will be the absolute best thing that can happen. And it will be done absolutely the best way. Isn't that neat? So having defined faith then, the author goes on to say this. This is what was the key to the commendation of the Old Testament believers. The elect in the Old Testament. The covenant saints. The Word of God praises people for their obedience. Listen to me. The Word of God praises people for their obedience, but any good that can be found in their obedience is grounded in the fact that they have faith. That's the difference between being a good old boy that does good, good things and a godly man who does good things because of the faith that is in him. So here's the deal. Look at this. I didn't want intending to be this personal this morning. Let's be the microphone. Start believing with faith that you can do what you've been telling yourself you can't do, but you hope you can. Marry your belief with your faith and let your faith triumph. And you will see Some of you want to do some things and you're not willing to step out yet. You believe you might, but you can't, and it's going to take a step of faith. There's an old Pentecostal preacher named Wigglesworth. I read all of his books, and that's all I'm going to say, but he he had a line... In fact, when I bought his books, I was at the other church, and I changed the locks on my door because I didn't want anybody to come in my private study and see that I have those books. And uh, they're gone now. Um... And uh, Wigglesworth said this, says, Fear faints. Faith leaps. I like that. Maybe some of the things that the, the biggest things you've wanted to do in your life or the things you wanted to see fixed or the prayers you wanted to see, it's not no more, excuse me, it's not like, I believe he can do it, but marry it to your faith. You've got grandkids that are lost. All right. I believe God can save him. I know God can save him. Well, put your faith in there. You see the difference? Man, now you're cooking with oil. You can make it. Why? Because you are able to see what is not plain. 
Amen? So that's what faith is. We can do all the good in the world, but if we do not trust in the Lord, it's ultimately regarded by Him as not good. If we trust wholly in the Lord, believing that He will accomplish His promises, then we do... In, then what we do in service to Him is good in that respect, despite of our imperfections. He will commend us for those works, not for the imperfections. Jesus paid that price. But this does not mean faith-motivated works merit salvation. Listen to me. This does not mean that faith-motivated works merit salvation. Rather, it is the Lord who is pleased with us when we serve Him by faith. Now why do I say that? Because now that I have defined for you faith, let me tell you, number two, what biblical faith looks like. Now our faith is not worthless because Jesus raised from the grave. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 17. It's actually on the bottom of your bulletin. Across the bottom. And we were justified through faith. But let me now use the passage with Nicodemus in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. That is a Remarkable statement. Justification by faith alone has been opposed. Now listen to me. And and I would not be offending them by saying this if they were here. I want you to hear me. Justification by faith alone has been opposed by Roman Catholicism its entire existence. And it says that for this reason. Rome fears that the doctrine of justification by faith alone would encourage people to live immoral lives. And thus, for Rome, the ability to have salvation must take one faith with works. That way the works see to it that you are not immoral. Whereas salvation by grace alone would lead to immorality in their view. Well, they're wrong. And that's why we're Protestants. And the reformers back in the 1500s answered this Challenge of justification by faith alone. Sola fides. Faith alone. And so what did they do? Well, they say this. Write this down. Biblical faith is a faith that leads to a changed life. It leads to a changed life. The older I get, the more I love the imperfections of the church. Because I know 
with my belief and my faith in the Word of God, one day she will be a spotless, blushing bride, of which I'll be part of it. I'll probably be the pinky toe in her sock. There won't be any preaching in heaven. There'll be preachers, but there won't be any preaching. And uh, um, the reformers show us that it is a changed life. So there has to be some elements then to what faith is that saves. And I'm going to give them to you. There are three words, and they're in Latin. No, there's no test on this afterwards, but I want you to write them down anyway. Notitia, N-O-I, N, I'm sorry, N-O-T-I-T-I-A, notitia. Notitia, listen to me, refers to the content of faith. I didn't come to church today because it's Easter. I came to this building to be with a journey church. A great community of Christians whose sole purpose, who are scripture taught, scripture formed Christians with the purpose of glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. I don't celebrate holidays. Oh, one of the worst troubles I ever got in one time in post was I didn't do Veterans Day right. We're commanded to observe one day. It's the Lord's day. But boy, it's a good day though to talk about our faith and how the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what's made our faith powerful. Amen? Don't leave here and say, I didn't mention the resurrection. You can leave here and say, I didn't mention Peter Cottontail. Notitia refers to the content of faith of those things that we believe. The things that we believe. We place our faith in something, or more appropriately, someone. In order to believe, we need to know something about the someone we believe in. Who is the Lord Jesus Christ? I almost passed it out today because somewhat out of frustration, but also just being human. But I showed a picture to a a couple guys the other day, and it's a picture of two people. And there's a big high wall, and there's a guy standing on the ground with his nose at the wall. Okay, And right next to it is a guy who is standing on all of these books, And he is waist high above the wall and can see everything on the other side. There's no words on that picture. And it says everything. For some, I'm afraid, this is your view of Christianity. Because you you are anti-intellectual. You're anti-reading. You're anti-anything. You think, you think uh, using your mind's going to make you, it's going to be a problem. And as I told you a couple weeks ago, you know, you're like, well, you're, you're a head person. You're a book person. You're a, you're a word man. I'm going to tell you something. Uh, no one will ever d- call me that twice again. Oh, James, you're one of those word persons. I'm a spirit person. Let me tell you something. The Bible was written by the Spirit. And I've given my life to study that word. 
to teach it in truth because, James also says, my judgment will be much more severe than all of yours together as to how I've handled this work. So we have to know what we believe in. The books I have given you to read on the back of the bulletin, Johnny McGregor is reading those books right now. And now he's given them to his new pastor and his men's group. Those books, he said, these are life-changing books. They're easy books. The holiness of God is so wonderful. You'll understand why God allowed women and children to be killed. In the, in the, you, you're not going to like it, but you'll understand where that came from. So we have to know something about, that's notitia. Number two is the word ascensus. Ascensus. A-S-S-E-N-S-U-S. Ascensus. Biblical faith requires a knowledge, a belief, and a conviction about what you are believing in. A senses is the conviction that the content of our faith is true. Do you understand what that means? It is the conviction that the content of our faith is true. I will never forget when 45 was interviewed and said, I have never had to ask for forgiveness in my life. I shuddered. But he's not the only one who's never asked for forgiveness in his life. And for that, that was probably the most, that was the darndest thing he said of all the things he said. Affected him more than anything. Because God will not be mocked. And, you know, there have been those that have written about his faith and all those things. I'm just going to tell you something. My census about that, his faith, and my census about my faith is two totally different things. It is the conviction that the content of our faith is true. That's why I'm, I don't... I do not indoctrinate you. I never have. I'm an instructor. I'm a teacher. I don't, I'm an educator. I'm not an indoctrinator. But let me just tell you this. This is why it's absolutely necessary you believe every single word in this book. You have got to assent to it. Because without faith, Hebrews 11:6, it is impossible to please God. Well, if you don't have the knowledge, the faith the knowledge that you're to have faith in, and if you don't have the trust that what you have knowledge in is true, you don't have saving faith. Biblical faith. Oh, and all I got to do is believe. I've already shown you that. No, you don't. Not all you got to do is believe. There are plenty of people that have never gotten grace and have never had faith Consequently, that believe and will go to hell when they die. Because their belief is not saving belief and their faith is not saving faith. It has to have, it has to know what it believes and it has to believe it's true. So how do I approach this book? I approach this Bible. I assent to every word is true. I assent to the fact I do not understand it, but it understands me. I understand it, the Old Testament reads me like a mirror and the New Testament cleans me up. I know I can't read one without the other and I know, I know a whole lot of stuff about it. 
And I believe it's God's Word. So this is the idea. You can know about the Christian faith and yet believe that it is not true. You can know about the Christian faith and believe it is not true. Genuine faith says that the content, the notitia taught by the Holy Spirit, the knowledge taught by the Holy Spirit is true. And what does God say in His Word when it talks about praying for the sanctification of the saints, that they may come to the knowledge of what? Truth. A census. Assent. Right? Now, then there is fiducia. F-I-D-U-C-I-A. Fiducia. Fiducia refers to personal trust and reliance. This means your mama's faith can't save you. Your wife's faith cannot save you. Knowing and believing the content of the Christian faith is not enough. Let me tell you why. James 2.19 says, You believe there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe there is one God, and they fear and tremble. Why is it that they believe and are not saved? Because they do not have the notitia nor the ascensus. Faith is, write this down, faith is only effectual if knowing about and assenting to the claims of Jesus Christ. Knowing about and assenting to the claims of Jesus Christ, one personally trusts in Him alone for salvation. One personally trusts in Him alone for salvation. I had a little note here I wanted to read. John Calvin said this, If on one part of God it is grace alone, if on the part of God it is grace alone that we're given faith, and if we bring nothing but our faith, which strips us of all commendations, it follows that salvation does not come from us. We do not have anything to boast in. Well, I'm saved. I'm a Christian and you're not. I, real Christian is either immature that says that or isn't. There's no boasting in that. It's boasting in what he's done. It's boasting about who he is. And he has told us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whoever has faith in him should not perish but have eternal life. So let me close with some pastoral questions reminding you yet again that if Christ had not been raised, our faith is worthless. Our faith is not worthless. Why? Because I believe it? No. Because I believe it with faith. So let me ask you these questions. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know about the sinless life he led and the work he did on the cross? Do you believe he is who he says he is and does 
what he says he does. Have you trusted in him alone to save you from the very wrath of God you deserve? I want you to take some time and ask yourself that question in light of what we've learned. If you have never believed in Christ, believe today. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. If you have been a Christian for some time, ask God to increase your faith in your all-sufficient Savior. Because here's how you ultimately will know you've got it. The way you're ultimately going to know you got it with assurance is that you trust Him and believe Him in every circumstance you see, experience, and you ask for forgiveness when you doubt. It's that simple. That you believe Him, you trust Him in every and all circumstances you see or experience. And you ask for forgiveness when you doubt. That is truly the hallmark of faith. And it is a wonderful faith indeed because it is so worth it. God gave us His Son to die for our sins. But He raised Him from the dead to give us the power to believe. Happy Easter. Would you stand?